is that last song is so fitting for what we're studying today in the book of First Peter. So it'll be exciting to kind of dial that into exactly what the, the Lord is wanting to speak, I know, to, to me, I believe to us, as we come to the close of another year and uh, head off into a new one, is really just to, to stand always in awe of Him. If you have a Bible handy, and I pray that you do, if you'd open it with me to the book of First Peter, we're going to close out this book, First Peter, in chapter 5. We're looking at verses 10 through 14 here this morning as we conclude this series, Hope in the Dark. And I titled this morning's message, Putting Things into Perspective. And I know we've all had to do that this last year you know, continually, is try to put things into perspective. And I was thinking this morning, you know, last week we were talking about the devil. We devoted a whole service really talking about our adversary. You know, in, in verse 9 there in, in chapter 5, you know, Peter says, you know, that we are to be sober and be vigilant, you know, to be reminded that our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. And then when you, you look at the end of that verse, and, and uh, Peter reminds us that, you know, there's many of our brethren that are suffering around the, the world. And then he goes and uses a word there, and we'll see it in verse 10. It's the word, but. And, you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, I've shared this with you. If you have an, an employer and you have a manager or a boss that you report to, you know, there's, you always enjoy those conversations that you have with them until they use the word but, right? Because they could be saying, hey, you know, da, 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 you're doing a great job, but. And then you, when you hear the word but, it usually just means, oh, man, I'm about ready to, I'm going to get it. Yeah. And it's interesting that Peter uses that word, but he uses it in reverse. He's telling us previously, you know, all the things in the sense that are going wrong. And then starting in verse 10, he says, but. You know, even though there's suffering, even though your adversary goes about like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour, even though, you know, your brethren are suffering, you know, all around the world, and he, but he stops there and he says, but, but, and then he'll take us forward and he'll put things into perspective for us. And I want to do that this morning as we look at this. You know, I, I was reminded, studying this week, it, it's interesting, you know, when you think about, you know, lions and you think about the devil being our adversary and him going about like a roaring lion looking you know for whom he can devour and uh there was a story you know of after the uh, boston marathon uh, it was won by and had been won by uh, kenyans it just began to dominate uh, you know all the marathons here in the united states you know whether it be the boston or the new york or you know, any marathon that you could run anywhere, those are two of the bigger ones. Uh, and th there was an interview, uh, one of the winners, and he said, you know, uh, why is it that you, you Kenyans, you know, that you run so fast? And he said, oh, it must be the, uh, the, the, the signs back home. And he said, what, what were the signs? Uh, the interviewer asked, and he said, it said, beware of lions. And I think, you know, when, you, when you're out jogging, if you happen to see signs, you know, we have deer crossings, you know, those are about the, the, the worst thing that we see. But, you know, if you saw a sign that said, you know, beware of lions, and that might make you run a little bit faster. And so when you, you think about, you know, life and the struggles that we face with regard to our adversary, 
it's really good that we put things into perspective, and we want to do that this morning. But let's let's just take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to help us to do just that as we wrap up this book of First Peter. And Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, that everything, Lord Jesus, you said that was in your word, every jot, every tittle, every I will be dotted, every T will be crossed, and everything that you declare will come to pass. There, there's no guessing. Uh, Lord, this is the sure word. And Lord, we trust that. And, and Lord, today I pray that we would learn to rest in it completely. It's why we study it, to know your word, to know your plan, that you do have everything under control. Even in a world that, again, right now seems so out of control, may it draw your children to your word that, Lord, we would know the truth, and that truth would set us free. And so we thank you. We look forward to all that you have for us today. Thank you for, again, your faithfulness in bringing us through this year. There's probably times in, in many of our lives we wondered, am I going to be here at the end of, of December uh, with COVID and all the things that uh, have occurred in our country? And we just thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for loving us, for protecting us, for providing for us. Everything we see, Lord, comes from your hand. And this morning, we, we give you praise for that as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, as Peter comes to a close, he's doing something here. He's drawing us, you know, uh, away from ourselves, you might say, and, and thinking about, you know, even the adversary in our life and the suffering that we go through. And he's bringing us back uh, to put our perspective and to put things into perspective to get our focus back on the Lord. There in verse 10, you can pick it up there. He says, but there's that word again. He says, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes from there. And he says, by Sylvanus, uh, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, you know, as Peter sums up, you know, all the things that we've spent months, you know, studying here, he, he calls this, he says, this is the true grace of God. And in verses 10 and 11, it's really kind of where we're going to park here this morning. You know, he's saying, you know, I, I've told you about, you know, God's saving grace. I've explained to you, you know, about God's sanctifying grace. I've, I've told you about the grace of God that will keep you and the grace of God that is so secure that it'll get you all the way to heaven. And then here he speaks of God's enduring grace that'll uh, enable us to handle the pain and the hardship and the trials of life. And then there in verse 12, Peter adds his own little personal note here. It's where Peter himself actually picks up the pen and finishes the letter. See, a lot of times we think that, you know, Peter and Paul literally wrote every note, and that's not true. They had a scribe, Sylvanus, who his, that's his formal name of Silas, he actually uh, was one of Paul's companions, you remember, you've read that, and most likely was who also pinned most of the words of Paul as well. And so as I look at this, you know, these two verses, I mean, there's a lot that we you know we can really unpack. And as we think about the close, you know, of another year and looking forward to another year that's in front of us here, 
there's some things that really jump off the pages here that, you know, I want to help you take a look at here this morning. You know, there's kind of six truths you could say that we need to know. And Peter explains it kind of in a way. These are truths that you need to know when the end is near. Because remember, the church was suffering persecution, right? Many were dying for their faith. Well, we can look at this as not necessarily that the end of our life is, is near in the sense that, you know, we are going to suffer tremendous persecution, though we do see it growing, like I, I shared with you last week, you know, that more people have died in the last hundred years because of persecution than every year previously, you know, from the time of Christ until now. And so, you know, it's like people just don't, because you don't hear it or you don't, it's not in the news doesn't mean that it's not occurring. Christians are being persecuted all around the world. And so this general letter that Peter's writing, it's remember, it's not to a church, it's to the church at large. But you can apply this in a sense to not just looking at the end of your life, but you could say looking at the end of another year, you know, that God has brought us to the end of a year. And how can we look at this year and how can we look forward to the, to the year that's ahead? And there's some things that, you know, we need to be reminded of constantly about God. You know, I, I tell you all the time, uh, almost weekly, I'll say, you know, we, we, what? we forget the things that we need to remember, right? And we remember things that we just need to forget. And a lot of times you come to the end of the year and you go, hey, you know what, going into this next year, I'm going to let that go. You know, I shared that, you know, on Christmas. You know, the greatest gift in the sense that, you know, God's incarnation brought into the world was forgiveness, right? That we could have our sins forgiven. And so you think about on that same level, some of the greatest gifts that we're able to give to other people aren't things that you would find at, you know, Costco or Walmart or Target. You know, maybe the greatest gift that we could have provided this year was the gift of forgiveness. Maybe there's someone in your life that you just have not forgiven. And it's not only harming you, but it's hurting them. You know, remember that old expression that, you know, uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person, you know, to die. And, and it's so true. You know, we need to understand the heart of God if we're really going to, to live life to the fullest. And, and again, things that I want to remind you of, truths that we tend to forget. And it's really what I loved about, you know, the last worship song that we sang today is to, to refocus and we need to do that at the end of the year. I mean, we would all confess that we've been way too distracted by COVID this year. I mean, you couldn't help it. It was just, if you watch television at all, it was right in front of you. You know, you just had a ticker every day to see, you know, how many people have succumbed to, to at least declared, you know, under COVID, how many people were dying, you know, by the minute. And, and we were seeing this and you watched what happened in the lives of so many people. It just fear just gripped their heart to the point that, I mean, they haven't stepped outside of their home. And, and again, and they'll say, you know, well, I'm following the science, I'm following this. And you go, no, what we're always called to do. And this is a great reminder because they were suffering persecution. This group of people that Peter is writing to, they're going to most likely die for their faith. So death is in front of them. And it's how should we live, you know, in the sense when the end is near. And there's some things that we need to understand and know because, you know, again, it's pretty much guaranteed if the Lord Jesus doesn't return in the rapture, we're all going to die. The Bible says it's appointed unto man to die and then face God, to face judgment. And so the key is, you know, is to be prepared and, and to remember some things about God because you have an adversary in your life as I do mine. The devil who wants to what? He wants to rip you off. He wants to persecute you. He wants you to get your eyes off the Lord so that your whole focus, you know, is on you and not on God. 
And, and for you to believe that, you know, God has no plan for your life, no purpose except for pain and for suffering, things that we know all too well. And so, number one, the, the thing that we see in, in verse 10 here that we need to remember, if you're a note taker, you might write this down. We need to remember God's heart. Lock that in as you go into the, this next year, as you close out this year. Remember God's heart, God's heart for you. Verse 10, Peter says, may, but may the God of all grace, is that you'd be reminded you know, that he's a God of grace, amen? A God of grace. Paul calls him the God of all comfort, but Peter here calls him the God of all grace. You know, and that's how God revealed himself even to Moses. If you remember all the way back in, in the book of Exodus, he said, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Is it easy to forget that though when you're hurting? Is it easy to forget that, you know, when you're going through hardship, when you're suffering? Yeah, it is. David, remember in the Psalms, Interesting, he would write this in Psalm 86. He says, you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious. You think about that, you know, that our whole relationship with God is one that's based upon his grace. You know, under the law, you know, righteousness was based upon what? Man's good works, the things that man did. But under grace, our relationship is based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. His finished work upon the cross. Under the law, all it took was one sin, just one sin that afforded you hell. And yet, under grace, it only takes one Savior to save you from hell. Just things that we need to, to keep in our minds, to keep the proper perspective of. We are saved by God's grace, and we're kept by God's grace. And you know what? As you look at this, especially chapter five, there's nobody that knew that better than Peter. If you go back and you read chapter five, you look there in verse one, you know, Peter's declaring that he was a witness, right, of the sufferings of Christ. And yet we know from John's gospel, you know, when Jesus was suffering, where was Peter? Yeah, yeah I think Peter, and here's Peter going, but I was a witness of, of the suffering. He denied him. And in verse one, he says, we're to be partakers of the glory of God. He's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember, you know, that Peter was there and, and with, with Jesus and, and Elijah and Moses, you know, appeared. And what, what did Peter do in that moment? He said, Lord, it's good that we're here. You know, let me build, a, you know, a hotel. We'll stay here for you and for Moses and Elijah. What he, what he did was he put Jesus and Moses and Elijah just on, on the same level. And, and God the Father had to correct him. He said, this is my son. He said, do what? Listen to him. Yeah, he's being corrected there. And yet, in verse 2, Peter reminds us, you know, the shepherds, the elders, they're to feed the flock. And yet, what was Peter doing after Jesus was crucified? He went back to feeding himself. He's out fishing, right? That's where Jesus found him. And what? He needed to be restored himself. Also there, you know, Peter in verses two and three, he exhorts pastors to not be lazy. And yet, you know, when Jesus came to his disciples and he asked them to pray, what was Peter doing? He was sleeping, right? These things are, you know, I think in Peter's mind. You know, when he tells, you know, pastors and shepherds and leaders and elders to be examples to the flock, you know, what's one of the, the last pictures that we see of, of Peter uh, before Jesus goes to the cross there, you know, in the garden, what does he do? Takes off the ear of one of the soldiers who comes to arrest Jesus, right? You know, not the kind of love that Jesus spoke of. 
How about in verse 5? You know, we're called, Peter says, to be clothed with humility. Remember there in the upper room, here's Jesus taking off an outer garment, right? And he's washing his disciples' feet, and he comes to Peter, and what does, what does he say? He says, Lord, you know, you don't, you don't need to wash my feet. Remember, and Jesus told Peter, he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. So then what does he say? <laughs> Go ahead and wash my, my, whole, my whole body. It was Peter, like I said, who rejected the Lord, who denied him, not once, not twice, but three times. And, and the point of sharing this with you this morning isn't to, to pull Peter down but it's actually to do what Peter's doing. Peter's reminded of, of who he is. And what is he doing? Is he's lifting Jesus up. You know, the focus, like I said, to, to finish out a year strong is, is not to make it about ourselves, but to make it about the Lord. To look through the lens of God's grace and his love in our life. I, I love that the song Amazing Grace, as I know that you do. And it says this, you know, in one of the, the stanzas of the song, it says, "'Twas grace hath brought us safe thus far, and grace will do what? Will lead us home. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. And that's exactly what Peter's doing, is reminding that everything in our life happens, you know, by the grace of God. I mean, would you agree that you're here today, that I'm here today by the grace of God? You know, you think about that in 2020. This, the second thing, you know, that comes to mind that we need to remember about God is his calling upon our life. Look there in verse 10. He says, who called us to his eternal glory. Everything, like I said, hinges upon God's grace. And because of God's grace, is heaven a sure thing? Absolutely. Heaven is a sure thing because God promised it. God is faithful to his word. Like his glory, God's grace is eternal. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul reminds us this. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Jesus and hope in Christ, he says, we are of all men most pitiable. Yeah, because our hope isn't just in this life. It's not just to people go, oh, Jesus is your crutch. Yes, he's my crutch. He's my wheelchair. You know, he's my ambulance. He's my hospital. He's everything. You don't ever have to be ashamed. You know, when people say, oh, you use Jesus as, absolutely, absolutely. What's yours? You know. No, he's there for us. See, Peter's writing to a church that's hurting, to a church that's struggling, a church that's being persecuted, that's constantly under attack. And, and again, it wasn't a specific church. It was to the church in general because guess what? You and I fall into those same categories. In varying degrees, we suffer. We go through hardships, persecuted. And what is he reminding us? what I want to remind you today. Your benefit package. You know, people ask you, Pastor Mike, does the church have a benefit package for pastors? Go, Absolutely. It's out of this world. That is our benefit package. And it's the best benefit package. You know, Jesus, when he prayed to the Father, you know, his great prayer there in John chapter 17, verse 24, what does he pray? He says, Father, I desire that they also who you gave me may be with me where I am. Where's Jesus today? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? John would write that Jesus declared, he said, you know, where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. Where's that place? It's not in Dustin Acres. It's not in Maricopa. It's not even at the beach. As good as 
the beach might be. I don't know about destination. I don't want to be careful. Maybe somebody's from there. <clears throat> but he says, in my father's house are many mansions. But there in John 17, he says that where I am, they may be also. That they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you had loved me before the foundation of the world. You know, one day we're going to be with the Lord together forever. Why is that so important? <laughs> because when you're going through things like COVID and you're going through all the repercussions that it's brought, you know, how many people have lost their livelihoods, they've lost their homes, they've lost their health, they've lost so much that, man, if Jesus is only good for this life, that, man, we need to be pitied more than anybody. But it's not. Our benefit package is out of this world. I'm always reminded, you know, when I think about that, that I love that phrase, that Corey Tinboom would share. She said, you know, when I look around, she said, I get confused. When I look down, I get depressed. But when I look up, my heart's at rest. And that's what Peter's reminding us today is that, you know, hey, no matter what you're going through, you need to look up. Always look up. And again, and, and I love this expression, and I want you to think about this. I want you to, this is one of those things I want you to ponder and kind of chew on, you know, I bold my notes, I put, live looking up, not forward. Live looking up, not forward. Because forward has to do with time. Up has to do with eternity. It has to do with your destiny. See, you're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised tomorrow from a time. So we could plan all kinds of things. And the Bible warns us against doing that. But we can always look up. Matter of fact, Jesus invites us to do that. He says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. He said, store your treasures where? In heaven, where neither, you know, moth can destroy, where, you know, it can't rust and thieves can't break in and steal it. Look up, look up, always, constantly. We're never promised tomorrow, but we are promised heaven. That's something that we need to remember. So instead of thinking about time, we need to think about eternity. Put things in their proper perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 puts it like this. Therefore, do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I love that quote by C.S. Lewis where he said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. And C.S. Lewis, again, maybe even a more famous quote that maybe you remember, he said, aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and what? You get neither. You know, looking up, looking up. And yet, remember, when you think about God, God's promises are conditional. There's conditional promises of God. His salvation is a conditional promise. And it's offered to us, look there in verse 10. It says, may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by what? By good works? Is that what it says? By what? By Christ Jesus. By your relationship with him. See, and this is why... So many people are so, uh, I mean, antagonistic towards Christianity. And you go, why? Because it's an exclusive faith. 
there was a, a kid, he was going around the block in my neighborhood last week. He, he was, he claimed to be Muslim. I was having a conversation with him and I just began to share, you know, my faith in the Lord because he asked me how my day was doing. I said, hey, it's great, you know, because, you know, I love Christmas time. I love the fact that, you know, God sent Jesus, you know, into this world. I said, are you familiar with the Christmas story? And he goes, yeah. And I go, well, you know, tell me about it. I said, you know, what's, what's your version that you understand? And so he kind of talked to me about it for a few minutes. And then I said, hey, can I share you mine? And he said, yeah. And so I started to share with him. And right away, he, go, he just stopped me and he goes, you know, I, I just want you to know I'm Muslim. And I go, that's okay. I go, Jesus came for Muslims too. And, uh, and, and he got offended and he said, you just need to understand. He goes, my grandfather was a pastor. He goes, but I don't, I don't believe. He goes, Jesus is not God. And I was like, wow. I go, that's pretty amazing. I go, you know, that you're not claiming to know everything about religion. But I go, but one thing you are so dead sure on is that Jesus is not God. I go, wow. That, I mean, to me, especially in studying First Peter and understanding you know, that, that our adversary, the devil, goes around looking for whom he can what? He can devour. And that he devours our faith and he devours people's beliefs. And here was a young man who had a grandfather who was a pastor who knew some truth as we were talking about that, but was so quick to go, no, no, it, it can't, it's not Jesus. Jesus is not, Jesus is not God. Jesus is not the Savior. And you go, but... That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible declares. And as I tried to share with him, I said, did you realize, you know, you know, Muhammad is, is dead. Jesus is alive. I go, would you, would you prefer to follow the teachings of someone who's dead in the grave? Or would you prefer to follow somebody who's conquered <laughs> death in the grave? And he, and he just wouldn't respond to it. It was just, you know, it was just one of those things. And I go, but make the God of all grace, who's called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. See, there's some people, you know, many people actually believe it's called universalism. Universalism is the belief that because Jesus died, everybody's saved. It's just, you know, Jesus died, so therefore, you know, everybody's going to heaven. That, that's what Jesus came. He came, just read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, everybody, you know, it's like whosoever. There's a condition to that promise that whosoever would believe. Romans tells us if you, what? If you believe in your heart and you profess with your mouth, and it's not just a formula. What he's talking about from your heart is the place where you really decide what you believe to be true and you act upon it. You know, because if you, if you know truth and you don't act upon it, what good is that truth? And that's why it says that there's a, an agreement between your heart and your head. There's a profession that, that's lived out in our lives. There's an old expression that said, you know, all roads lead to heaven. But there's only one door. There's only one way in. Jesus said, I am the door. Amen. When you go through the eight ego amies of, of John's gospel, I am the door, Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except what? By me. That's what Peter is echoing here. The fourth thing that you need to remember about God, and this is sometimes the hardest thing for us, is God's purpose for pain. You know, when you're, when you're hurting, you're going through pain, it's hard to, you know, attribute that, you know, to God. We'll go, oh, the devil, the devil's ripping me off. And he, and he, and trust me, he is, and he's desirous too. But much of the time, God is working in the midst of that pain. God has 
allowed that pain. Look there in verse 10. It says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered for what? What does it say? A while. You know, I love this expression. It says the difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is equal to the pain you're willing to endure. You'll have to think on that one for a while. Why did Peter write this? Because Peter understood. Suffering is part of life. Everyone suffers. Yes, yeah, some to different and varying degrees, but everybody goes through some sort of suffering. Suffering, you could say, is God's classroom. And yet, purposeful pain, you could say, belongs only to the child of God. If you're not saved, you're not born again, that, that pain is, is, is worthless. I mean, it does nothing. But if you are a child of God, God is using that pain. That's a classroom to teach you many things, many things that you'll know one day. I try to remind you often, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Purposeful pain is what the children of God get. That's why David could say in Psalm 119.11, he said, it was good that I was afflicted. Why? Because he saw that the pain that he was going through was beneficial in his life. I mean, Satan wanted to destroy him. Satan wants to destroy me. Satan wants to destroy you. But God uses pain to develop our character. Remember Job? Job going through all of his struggles, right? I mean, he loses all his possessions, loses you know, his children, his health. His wife you know, says, why don't you just curse God? Get it over with. You know? Just get it done. Curse God and die. Job 2.10 he says this to his wife, he says, but he says to her, you speak as one of, of the foolish women. He's not calling her foolish. He's just saying, be correct in this. He's saying, you're talking like one of those foolish women. So men, there's even a gentle way to bring about correction. You know, he says, you speak as one of those foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, it says, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, there's probably not a week that doesn't go by where in some kind of marriage counseling, you know, I'll remind couples, I go, did you forget that marriage is for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and sickness and in health? See, a lot of couples think that marriage is for better, for richer, and for health. They forget that marriage is what? It's all those things that God actually uses, even suffering in a marriage relationship. You know, usually it's the women who enjoy this part that I'm about to say more than the men. I'll say... You know, and because it, it's happened, you know, throughout the years, many times, many times, I'll say, you know, the Bible says that, you know, we're not given in heaven in, in marriage, we're going to be as the angels, right? I mean, marriage is just a temporary relationship, you know, here on earth. And, and I mean, seriously, I, through the years, I've heard women go, hey, man, I've never heard men say that, you know, not to say that they couldn't, they're just not brave enough to do it, because the pain, the more suffering that that will bring about, I guess, you know, but you think about that, you know, we're, we're going to suffer relationships, you know, think about it, you know, as iron sharpens iron, you know, God uses us, you know, faithful are what the wounds of a friend deceitful is the kiss of an enemy. And Peter is reminding us, he says, after you have suffered 
but a while. So what does he do? He contrasts a while with the eternal. One is temporary, a while. The other lasts forever. You know, I try to remind you that pain is temporary, but glory is what? It's eternal. And don't, don't forget that. Pain is temporary. Glory is eternal. When you think about things that we need to remember about God, as 2020 comes to the close and 2021 is on the horizon, that God is faithful. God's faithfulness. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Was he faithful at the end of last year? Yeah. Will he be faithful at the end of next year? Absolutely. Look there in verse 11. He says, after you have suffered a while, it says, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's what God does. I mean, he uses these words, Peter. It's not that he's going to break down each word. He's just driving home the point, you know, that after you've suffered a while, I mean, God is allowing that in your life to perfect you, to establish you, to strengthen you, and to settle you. That suffering would settle you. I love that, that old saying, if God brings you to it, he will see you through it. He brought you this far. He'll see you through it. Isaiah 58, 11. So that's where that, that saying comes from. If God brings you to it, he'll see you through it. From Isaiah 58, 11, it says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. Because God's faithful. He lets us suffer for a little while. There's a purpose in the suffering. And then look what, don't miss this. Look what Peter says here. After you have suffered, after you have suffered a while. There's a purpose there. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. To settle you. I like to remind you as well. You know, everything that happens to you, I want you to think about this. Everything that happens to you in this life has to pass through the filter of God's love. There's nothing that happens to you in this life that does not first pass through the filter of God's love. Ecclesiastes, you know, chapter three, you can read this for yourself. You know, you, you, there's a time for everything, right? To everything, there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pick, you know, goes on and on. Verses one through eight, you can read that. There's a purpose for everything. There's a purpose for pain. It's not to deny it or denounce it, but to embrace it. So if you're suffering today, if you're, if you're going through hardship today, just know this, God is working in it. You might not understand it, that's okay. But he is wanting to look at those words, perfect, to establish, to strengthen, and to settle I like what Pastor Greg Laurie said. He said, God doesn't promise smooth sailing through your storms, but he does promise you safe arrival. And I love that. That's such a, a great reminder. We're not looking forward. We're doing what? We're looking up. You ever heard the expression, no pain, no gain? Yeah, it really is true. The way of the cross is suffering. Remember, Jesus declared, he declared this throughout the gospel accounts, but I like Luke's uh, expression of this truth. Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily. I love that. That's why I like that in Luke. Daily, he says, 
other gospel accounts doesn't have the word daily. It says, and take up his cross daily and follow me. So Peter's pointing out here that suffering perfects us and it strengthens us, it establishes us and it settles us. And the point is what? There's a benefit. There's some benefit in suffering. You know, though the devil, when you're suffering, man, the devil wants to persecute you. He wants to wear you out. He wants to, you know, just beat you down. And, and yet Peter's reminding us that the very opposite really is true. You know what the, again, yeah, as Joseph would remind us, remember when he told his brothers, he says, what you have meant for evil, God did what? He turned it for good. So when you're going through suffering, you can look at it and you'll go, oh, it's the devil that's doing it. And he might be. But just understand this, whatever the devil is using against you, God will turn it if you allow him to use it for you. All things do work together for good to them that what? That love God. You keep holding on. I like that expression, you know, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And there's true. There's truth in that. Kind of reminds me of that uh, farmer, the story about the farmer who had an old horse and the old horse had fallen into a big ditch and the farmer looked down and it looked like the, the, the horse had, had, uh, to, he had died. So the, <laughs> the farmer goes and gets a shovel and just starts, you know, shoveling dirt into the hole. Well, it kind of startles the horse, it arouses the horse and, and all of a sudden the horse is up and, and the farmer can't see that deep. So he's just throwing dirt down in the hole. And so the, every time the dirt would hit that horse, he'd shake it off and then he'd stomp on it. And the farmer just kept throwing dirt and the horse kept shaking it off and stomping it down. Finally, the horse just walks right out of the hole. You know, the moral of the story, you know, sometimes, you know, when the world's throwing dirt on you, you know, the devil's throwing dirt on you, what do you need to do? You need to shake it off, right? And stomp it down and then just keep on walking. You know, <laughs> there's one, and I always love this story. It's a good winter story. Remember the little bird that uh, was flying, it got caught in a snowstorm, and it was flying, and the snow just began falling harder and harder, and then finally the, this poor little bird just landed out in this field, and it was just freezing to death. Next thing you know, it's just literally, it's frozen solid. It's going to die. There's a cow that's standing out in the field and it sees what happens to this poor little bird. So the, the cow walks over and, and drops a cow pie on top of this bird. And the bird's just sitting there and the bird's like, thank you. I mean, here I am freezing to death and now you come and you drop a cow pie on top of me. And as the little bird's feeling sorry for himself, all of a sudden he starts to feel warmth. He's going, hmm, wow, this, maybe this isn't so bad after all. There's a cat that's sitting on a, on a pole that's watching this whole thing unfold. And so the cat jumps down and goes over there. And the cat comes along and goes up to the little bird and goes, here, let me help you. He goes, I see what that, that cow did to you. Let me, let me clean you up here and let me, you know, let me clean you off. So he does. And they walk off you know, together over to the barn. And then the cat eats the bird. You go, what a wonderful story, you know. You go, what would be the point of, of that? And there, there's a moral to the story. And the moral of the story is really simple. It's not everybody who lays a cow pie on you is your enemy. And not everybody who cleans it off is your friend. You know, a lot of times, you know, when God allows things, hardships, you know, cow pies in our life to land on us, you know, we get all mad at God. 
And the enemy comes along and, you know, offers to clean us up and then ultimately destroys us. We don't realize that, you know, God works in the midst of things that we just don't comprehend in the moment that we don't understand. But that's what makes God so amazing, as Isaiah declares, is that his ways are high above our ways. His ways are beyond finding out. And so you might be asking yourself, you know, why would God allow, because you're thinking about right now, all of us have thought about a specific hurt and heartache in our life that you're going, yeah, you know, Pastor Mike, I, I, okay, I get the generalization of what you're saying, but man, this specific thing, this hurt, this heartache, you know, this trial, this suffering, this persecution, why would God allow that in my life? And it's what we close with today. What you have to bear in mind always, whether it's the end of 2020 and you've just come through the worst year of your life due to COVID-19, is understanding this. God allows anything in our life, anything and everything for his glory and for your good. For his glory and for our good. I love that old quote that says, life is 10% what happens to you and it's 90% of how you react to it. What is that? That's attitude. Attitude. There's one thing Peter knows in this life that you and I do well to understand is this. You don't have to understand the plan of God to trust the plan of God and to know that God has a purpose in his plan. Trust. That's where faith comes in. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, she who comes to God, must believe that what? That he is God and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Look there in verse 11. It says, to him, Peter says, to him be the glory. See, I believe Peter at this moment, you know, he's been dictating this letter. And all of a sudden he comes to the end of it. And all of a sudden it just, it, he's just overwhelmed by the goodness of God. He's thinking of his own life. You know, when you come to the end, hopefully when you come to the end of your life, that you'll look back and you go, God has been very, very good to me. That he has brought you through everything to that very moment in time. And that he's used all those things to repair you to meet him face to face. And Peter's response is, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, it's called the benediction. It's called the blessing. And Peter is just wanting to bless the Lord. He was dictating, like I said, this letter to Silas up to this point. And all of a sudden he grabs the pen. I got to finish this. You know, it's like, you know, somebody writing a letter for you, you go, but I got to write, you know, love Mike at the very end of it, you know, cause I want that to, that personalization to be from me. And that's what Peter's wanting to do. And I hope and pray as we come to the close of a year, no matter what you've been through, that you could say, from your own lips, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Because you think about that. Because why? Why would Peter tell us that? Because one day, Peter knows. Peter knows what I hope you and I know. One day, we're going to see the big picture. One day, as we stand before God, all these things that we see dimly, darkly, we will see perfectly clear that day that we see him face to face. I mean, there's no better way that I think that we can end a year, you know, as a church. And especially a year like this, where it has just shaken 
hearts and homes to the core and to be able to end this year trusting God, declaring with our own heart, God, you know, again, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And being able to say, you know, from our heart, to you, God, because of all that you are, that it's by your grace, it's by your grace that we're saved, it's by your grace that we're kept, it's by your grace that we'll stand. And you go, and it's that realization, you know, because it's so easy for us to gloss over, but it wasn't for Peter in that moment. I believe with all my heart, as he, he's thinking about, and he's understanding the persecution and the hurt and the heartache, the suffering that the church is going through. And he recognizes, you know, that there is an adversary. And he's reminding us that he goes about like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. And he says, but, but grace, as Paul would say, where sin abounds, what? Grace does all the more. Grace, amazing grace. Grow in the knowledge of God's grace. We are saved by God's grace. We are kept by God's grace. And his grace hasn't failed you yet, and it won't fail you at all. And so, it, like Peter, you go, when that just hits you, and you realize, you know, heaven awaits us because of Jesus, and all that he's accomplished for us is that we go to God, to God be the glory for the great things that he's done. Amen? You go, do I understand it? Nope. But is he great? Is he good? All the time. All the time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for, again, the privilege of, of being able to study it and to know it. And Lord, to grow in it and to be transformed by it. Your grace in our life is so, so amazing. We love you so much. And Lord, we look forward to all that you have for us. We pray that, Lord, you would just minister your life throughout the remainder of this year, helping us to count our blessings, Lord, to think back over this year and even the hurts and the pains. It's so easy, like I said, to look at the good things, but Lord, it's sometimes the, the hardest things are the things that eventually will mean the most to us because Lord, what we learn maybe more than anything is how faithful you are and that no matter what happened to us, Lord, you made a promise to us that you would never leave us and that you would never forsake us. Again, that's the beauty of the incarnation, that God, you, you came near and you never left. You're here. You're here in spirit. You're here in our heart. And Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We bless you, Lord, as we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's kids said, amen. Amen. It is a Christmas miracle. <laughs>